So it's Christmas, if you've been living under a rock and haven't noticed, it's Christmas. And everybody loves that we get to give at Christmas. But one thing that I know you all do well is you all give all year, not just at Christmas, you give all year. But so do these guys, they give all year into us so that we can be thriving as people and so that we can be strong as, as a church family and, and, and healthy as a church family. And there's a lot that they do that none of us see, that God only knows. But we want to appreciate you for everything that we do see and everything that we don't see for your endless pursuit of Jesus because we can only go as far as you've gone before. So thank you for keeping on going Stop it, Anna. (laughs) Hold it together so I can. Thank you for keeping on going so that we can keep on going, for living the example that we all want to keep going on with. Yeah, am I saying all the right stuff? Is this the heart of us, guys? Yeah, good. So we love you. We want to honour you. Oh, Josh and Shayla. Oh, my gosh. I so forgot to ask you guys to come up. Quick, 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 Josh and Shayla, because you're part of your family as well. You guys are amazing how you love and serve in the house too, and we want to thank you. So, guys, why don't we get up and why don't we show them a bit of honour and a bit of thanks and a big Merry Christmas. Thank you so much. Guys, we love you guys so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And there's something breakable in there and be careful with that. Okay. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Oh, wait. Before they go, as well, we have a new pastor here at Manningham Christian Centre. I was wondering. (laughs) And so this has been very logistically difficult to try and organise. But uh, as, uh, on behalf of the whole church family, Rose, we'd like to thank you for how you serve in our church and every single word that you just said for the pastors also applies to you and we have a small gift to appreciate you this morning as well. And it was very hard to get it... Organised, but yeah, thank you very much. And we'll hand the mic back to you. Yes, you will. Thank you very much. All right. Give them another hand as they're exiting the stage. They're amazing. We are all amazing together. This is a good church. This is a great church. All right. So as I said, it's Christmas. And you know what? I love Christmas. I really, really do. As I've gotten older, sometimes Christmas can create a bit of anxiety because, you know, you're a mum and you've got to sort everything else out for the kids and for the social engagements and all of that. But I love Christmas. I love the carols. I know there's people who go, oh, carols. I love carols. I love it. I love that for four to five weeks, the world will stop and acknowledge Jesus, even if they do it through Santa. Even if they do it through gift giving and food, whatever it is, they're stopping for a reason. Because if there was no Jesus, there'd be no reason, right? We wouldn't just put a tree with a star up for no reason. So I love that the world stops. You know, I, I don't love that the shops are busy. And I don't love that you've got to plan an extra half an hour just to get a car park everywhere you go. And I don't love sometimes that your social calendar is so full that all you really want to do is stay home in your jammies. Or is that just me? <laughs> but I started to think about these questions and I started to think, well, about something I've never asked before. God, what do you think about Christmas? And so I started to just very much ask him that question, God, what do you think about Christmas? And who knows that when you ask God a question, you've got to get ready for an answer, right? 
So I sat there having this dialogue with God, just having him start to show me some of his heart for Christmas, for the very first Christmas and what that might have meant to him and specifically for today's Christmas and what means to him today. And let me tell you, when God speaks to me, it's like an internet browser that's open that just keeps opening and opening and opening and you think you've scrolled to the bottom of the page but it's still downloading, right? I'm not like one of those billboard people or a radio announcement, yes, I heard God say this, oh no, it just keeps going and going and going and going. So I get to the end of this conversation with God and go, and how do I turn that into something to tell people exactly? So this is my attempt at very much trying to turn what I felt God say into something that's going to be comprehensible for you guys. Really, I'd just love to stand here for the next 20 minutes and tell you how good he is. Because he is. He really, really, really is good. And when you know something and you're convinced of something, it's super easy to do that. And how easy to do that in light of Christmas. Christmas is, is, is just evidence that he is so, so good. The fact that God himself, the good news itself, would leave heaven and come to earth. Okay, He chose to become man because he loved his creation so much. He loved his created sons and daughters so much. He chose to leave heaven and, and, and come to earth. He longed to restore relationship with them that evil in the world had broken. That's good news, am I right? It's such good news. You know, Andy Stanley says that the good news is so good because we aren't. You know, there's a lot of nice people, there's a lot of great people, but we really aren't that good. We all fall short, we all make mistakes, we all seek revenge on others, we all do things that we're not really that good. I mean, if we call God good, how good could we really be, right? He's God and he's good. We're not that good, but he brings good news to us. He comes and he brings good news. You know, if you were here last week and Matt talked about it, Jesus, with a little help from Andy Furlong, spoke to us and he told us why he came. He came because of love. God is so madly, so deeply in love with us. He just couldn't hold back any longer. He's like, I've got to send my son and I've got to send him now. He could not hold back any longer. He wanted to make a way for us to have perfect relationship with him heavenly father with us he wanted a a way and that's what Christmas is about but I'm not really going to talk about that today in the way you might think what I'm what I think I'm gonna I'm gonna hopefully be able to do today is is convey to you how much when I spoke with God about how what he thinks about Christmas is that he was much more interested in mine and in your and in everybody else's response to Christmas then and and our response to the Christmas story and our response to the Christmas meaning and the Christmas season he was more interested in that than anything else he was interested in how we respond to the gift he gives us he's less interested in the kind of gifts we give one another and less interested in you know what a great table spread we can put on he's interested today And he was interested to some 2,000 years ago in how people would respond to the gift he was giving. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to explore the invitation of Christmas. Make no mistake, Christmas is an invitation. I think that's why in the Bible, even though the account of Christmas is quite short, there's only about three or four chapters that cover the entire Christmas story in the Bible. But in those 
four odd chapters, we have the perspective of so many people all sharing a little bit about this is what happened for me in the very first Christmas journey. And I think what we're going to do today is, well, I know what we're going to do today, not what I think. What we're going to do today is we're going to have a look through the very first Christmas story and we're going to look at it through the perspective of the main characters and we're going to look at their response because their response to the Christmas story dictated how their life changed forever after that. And see, for us today, we need to be aware of our response to Christmas. We can become all too familiar with Christmas, something we've done in our culture as Australian people as forever. We grow up with Christmas. Whether you are religious or not, Christmas is something that 99% of our nation does because they still see good in it, even if they don't believe in the full message that it represents. So we can become all too familiar with what Christmas is and not be aware of what happens in here and how we're actually responding. Are we going through motions and just doing Christmas because it's Christmas? Are we actually trying to hide away from Christmas because it brings up memories or emotions or things that are too difficult for us to deal with? Whatever it is, none of that is too hard for God today. So as I speak today, what I want you to do is be aware of your response to Christmas. Be aware of how you're responding to what I'm saying and what I'm talking about. And be aware of what the Holy Spirit might be bringing up for you in your thoughts and in your heart and in your thinking. Because he will speak. The minute you say, I'm open, God, speak. He will speak. So let's have a look this morning. And this is the big question that I'm going to be asking you today. If we respond to the invitation of, if how we respond to the invitation of Christmas changes the course of our life forever, how will I respond to the invitation of Christmas? So we're going to come back to that many, many times today. We're going to start where the Christmas story itself starts with Mary. So in case you haven't heard the Christmas story before, we're going to go through it in a really quick way today. But Mary is the mother of Jesus and she is a young teenage girl and there she is going about her business when one day an angel appears. And what choice words, he says, the Lord has chosen to surprise you. She wasn't getting a new Barbie. She wasn't getting, I don't know, a new makeup set or something like that. She was going to be having a baby. And she had never, ever, ever been with a man before. So it was a huge surprise. It was probably a shock. It was probably a, a who knows what she said. I mean, you know, imagine. But I'd be like, what the heck? Who are you and what is going on? Like, how would you respond if someone come to you just out of the blue, an angel appears and says, the Lord has chosen to surprise you? Well, that's one way of putting it. But she was going to be having a baby totally divinely. The Holy Spirit was going to come upon her and she was going to supernaturally conceive a baby. And this baby was going to save the world. On top of the fact that she's having a baby and doesn't know how, this child is now going to save the world and he's going to be called Emmanuel God with us. I mean, you know, if there was ever a time for that mind-blown emoji to be used, it's now, right? Like, are you kidding me? Like, what did you just say? But that's what happened. And who knows if it was a three-minute encounter or a two-hour encounter? Who knows? Who knows if there were questions she asked this angel and answers that she got and some sort of a conversation that happened? We, we, there's a lot we don't know, okay? But we 
have enough that we do know that we can know what's happened in the story. And so Mary responds and probably doesn't respond the way any of us in this room would because I'd still be asking a truckload of questions. But Mary says, may everything you have said will happen come to pass. Some translations will say, she said, may it be as you have said or or, or do it as you have said, or there's an amen in there. She agrees with what the angel tells her. She chooses to partner with what God has said to do. She's like, this has to be God. It can't happen any other way. So I'll say yes. I don't know if that's how I would respond, but that's the first response we see in the Christmas story today. It's a big fat yes from Mary. It's like we don't, there's, I'm sure inside of her, she's got a gazillion questions and, and, and cogs ticking, but it's a yes. It's a yes from me. It's a yes from her. So next we get to Joseph, and Joseph was Mary's fiancé. Now Joseph didn't have the angel appear to him the way Mary did. It happened for him a little differently. See, Mary had to go deliver the news. There's another surprise for you. <laughs> go, go Now go tell your fiancé. So she had to go deliver the news. And, you know, it just didn't work for Joseph. He had a plan. I was going to get married. I was going to build furniture. We'd have a family business. Eventually, we'd start a family of our own. This wasn't part of the plan. So Joseph's like, okay, well, he was a good man. And the Bible says he didn't want to disgrace her. So he secretly planned to break off their engagement because that's what a good man does. You know, you don't want to disgrace her in public, right? But there's always a but with God, and I love that. But God, God knew. And while Joseph was still debating with himself about what to do, he fell asleep and had a supernatural dream. An angel came to him and said, it's all true. She's not making a bit up. And your job is to name him. You're going to give him his name. He'll be called Jesus. And he was like, after that, I'm a big fat yes too. God, whatever you want, we'll do it. And he listened to the angel. And he, he went on and he married Mary. And they well, were together till the end of the story, really. I mean, it's not days of our lives. I don't know how it turned out. But I'm sure that they had a happily ever after, however it worked for them. But, but this is the thing. See, when we encounter the Christmas story, it can fill us with anxiety. This isn't what I planned. Sometimes we just have to be open enough to let God speak to us in the way that we're going to understand. So Joseph didn't understand when Mary told him, nothing added up, the pieces did not fit. This is not our plan. But then God, it's always but then God. I love the but then gods because the but then gods in our moment are what redefine us and change everything. So but then God found a way to speak to Joseph. And Joseph was, I'm in. I'm in God. I know this is you. And that's the second response we see to the Christmas story. I love that God always knows how to reach us and to speak to us. No matter who we are, no matter the state of our heart, no one is unreachable. No one is so far in their decision making or, or past the idea of inviting God into it that he can't reach out, speak to you and pull you back into the plan he has for you. And that's the second response we see in the Christmas story. So then Mary and Joseph, um, I think someone, oh no, sorry, I'm confusing this morning's church with church I watched on TV last night. No one here told this part of the story yet. So, okay. So then the king calls a census 
and they need to go to their hometown and they need to register, you know, how many people are in your family so he knows how many taxes he's going to get from everybody. So they travel, as we heard Mary tell us last week, over 90 miles and she was possibly on the back of a donkey. We did have some photos that proved it. So she was on the back of a donkey and they get to Bethlehem and there's no room. Joseph didn't use his booking.com app and there was no room. It was full. It was totally, totally, totally full. Now, in, in comes the innkeeper. Now, you want to know the crazy thing about the innkeeper? He's not in the Bible at all. There is no reference to this guy. He may have never, ever existed. And my mind was just blown the other day when I realised, man, this character, where did he come from? He's not in the Bible story. But nonetheless, we have an innkeeper because someone had to have owned the house they stayed in. So we don't know whether they had visited multiple inns like a lot of the kids' stories tell us. You got any room? Sorry, no room. Close the door. We don't know if they visited multiple inns or we don't know if they hit the jackpot in the first one. But regardless, someone opened a door for them. Matthew um, 2, 6 to 7 just really simply says it was time for Jesus to be born. They wrapped him in cloth. They placed him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. And, and by the way, inn and room and, and manger and stable, or if you, were, if you were one of our shepherds last week, the, the shed, the shack, the barn, whatever it was, was actually more like an underground cave. Okay. So that's not as, as a romantic idea as our little stables that we all put under our trees. But the point about the innkeeper that I want to make, or whoever he or she was, is that where there was no room and it was packed to the rafters, where it was crazy and chaotic, because there were droves of people entering the city who didn't normally live there. It was busy, guys. It was like walking down Burke Street on Christmas Eve, right? Everyone's in Maya and you're like, oh my gosh. They made room. It ended up being exactly what they needed. In the midst of their crazy, it was perhaps the most holy thing to have ever have happened in their life. Now, I know I learn a lot about this part of the story because my life can often look like the inn. My life can often look chaotic, full and noisy. But when I let Jesus in, everything changes. So what about you today? Have you ever found that in the noise, if you just make a little room, something holy can happen? Or are you struggling with all the noise and all the chaos at the moment and all you want is a little sweet relief? You know, I can't promise you a little sweet relief, but I know this much. If you make room for Jesus, you'll always have someone with you right in the middle. You can experience peace in the chaos, and I so know that this is true. And some of you are probably listening to what I'm saying right now and going, everything I believed about the Christmas story, she's just blowing it to pieces. What do I even believe anymore, right? Or, or, or you can kind of going, oh, she's not telling it 100% historically accurate. You might be someone going, what? What is she saying? And I sort of brought these questions to God while I was talking to him and I went, God, we know the Christmas story But then if I look at the Bible, it can tell me a very different version of the Christmas story. And I kind of just asked him, well, God, does that bother you that we don't always tell it right? Like, 
I don't know. Does anyone else think of questions to ask God that you think, does anyone ever ask God this? I'm just looking at blank faces. You're all like, she's weird. What does she say to God? But I asked him and, 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 and he just reinforced, I'm so much more concerned with your response. So much more. He doesn't mind if we romanticize the idea of a stable and a manger. He doesn't mind if we put cute little goats around baby Jesus and the little cow perfect and not even consider for a second. That would have stunk to bring a newborn baby into the world in. Are you kidding me? Like I would have went, no, Tim, we are not having our baby there. Like, no. Think about how we romanticize these ideas that in reality we're like, no. But... But God's less concerned with the little tiny details of the story and more concerned with our response to the story today. So what do we do with what we know and what do we do with what we hear? Are we a big yes? Are we like a Joseph, a bit bit troubled and with anxiety and you're like, oh, but God still finds a way to speak to us? Or are we like the innkeeper? We are chaotic and noisy and we have no room, but We choose to make room and just see everything unfold before our eyes. So I want to reinforce today, if how we respond to the invitation of Christmas changes the course of our life forever, then how will I respond today to the invitation of Christmas? Is this good so far? Yeah? Okay, let's keep going. There's a few more characters we have yet to meet. The shepherds. These guys had no idea what was going on. They were just minding their own business, literally. They were in the sheep business, oblivious to the fact that a few miles down the road, a king had been born. See, these guys had their life interrupted by the message of good news coming to them. For the shepherds, Jesus was the hope they never knew they needed. History suggests that the shepherds were just everyday men, possibly the youngest sons of the farming family or just, or, or the, or just some farming peasants. And so they were probably quite young guys, as we saw in the video last week, of course. And here they are in the field and a sky lights up with angels and they hear the greatest news ever told. And this is, this is the way that a few different translations word it. The most joyous news, good news, a great and joyful event. That's to quote the angels in, this, in Luke 2. That's what they tell these, these, these shepherds when they appear and they fill up the sky. Don't freak out. We're here to tell you the most joyous news, the good news, a great and joyful event has happened. And so what a sight it must have been, right? All the bells, the whistles, the singing, the everything. What a sight it must have been. No matter what a good production anyone can put on, God can put on a much better production, right? So what a sight that must have been. But the shepherds had to choose their response in the Christmas story. So the first thing we know is they freaked out. Otherwise, the angel wouldn't have said, don't fear, right? So first they freak out like, oh, my gosh, what is happening right now? But they didn't choose fear as their response. We're going to have a look at what their response was. I reckon they must have looked at the angels, looked at one another and thought, is this really happening? I know I would have thought that. Is this really happening, right? But once they got past they're not being scared anymore – And the is this really happening question. They had to choose their response. And after weighing it all up, they decided it was worth pursuing. The shepherds are kind of like them. They have this attitude of, well, what have we got to lose? What have we got to lose? If we're wrong and if some weird thing just happened and these angels were lying, 
or we walked a few miles and that's it. But what if it's true? What if it's true? And the Bible tells us this was their response. Let's go. Let's hurry and find this manifestation that is born in Bethlehem and see for ourselves what the Lord has revealed to us. Let's go. Let's hurry. When the Lord interrupts my life, I don't always say to him, well, let's go, God. Let's hurry. When he interrupts my life, I often go, really? Are you kidding me? Why? They're the usual responses I have. And, and usually then I come round to the let's go, let's hurry. Okay, God, yes, you're right, let's do it. Okay. But that's, that was their response. It was the, well, what have we got to lose anyway? That was their response. And sometimes I think that is the very question we need to ask ourselves. We're not that different from the shepherds. We all have pretty run-of-the-mill, everyday, average lives. Okay? But... What do we do when, for lack of a better analogy, angels come and stand in our field and God comes and announces something to us? It could be the story of of, of finding out something about Jesus for the very first time. You could be sitting in this room today still sorting through what the gospel means for you and who Jesus is and you may never quite met him yet. So in this room today, it may very well be that you have an angel standing there saying to you, hey, I've got good news for you. And you could be like, okay, well, what do I do with that? Or you could be anywhere in your journey with God right now and there could be things he's speaking to you about, things that he has plans for you, things that he wants to do in your family, things he wants to do in your marriage, things he wants to do in your workplace. And he could be saying to you, i got some good news for you. We're going to do this. And he's looking for your response. Is it going to be a like my initial response? Really, God, really? Or is it going to be a, well, what have I got to lose? Let's go, let's hurry, let's go and see what's been revealed to us. So that was the response of the shepherds. You know, so far in each of these characters that we've met, what I love is that God came to them as they were. God didn't wait for them to become something that they thought they needed to be for God to speak to them. God came to each of these characters as they were. And he didn't come to impose a list of rules or requirements on any of them in order for them to have access to Jesus. He simply invited them to be a part and the choice was theirs. And that's the invitation of Christmas. He invites you to be a part and the choice is yours. If how we respond to the invitation of Christmas changes the course of our life forever, How will I respond to the invitation of Christmas? You all right out there? There's two more characters for us to meet. The wise men. Whether you call them the magi, the priests, the astrologers, however you want to interpret who they are is less of the issue. What's important to note is that these men understood the signs of the times and they were looking for Jesus. Now, they didn't specifically know that they were looking for Jesus himself but they knew that a saviour had been promised and so they were actively anticipating and awaiting his birth. It's almost like through the wise men, you see the anticipation of the whole earth waiting for Jesus to be born. It's like for thousands of years before, it's almost like creation held its breath and then on this night, creation could exhale because the promise had come. So we know that 
from where they were was probably somewhere around in the east in Persia and they saw a star so they set off to Jerusalem which is over 2,000 kilometers away and when they got there they met King Herod who's going to be our final character in the story today. The wise men go to the king and they ask him where's the king of the Jews being born so that we can worship him. Now this would be the equivalent to any one of us going into Buckingham Palace, going up to the Queen of England, who we know loves her throne because she will not give it up, okay, and saying to her, hi there, Queen, where's the Queen of England being born so we can go worship her instead of you? That's what they did. They went up to Herod and said, Where is the child who was born king of the Jewish people? We've come to worship him. King Herod was shaken to the core when he heard this. You know, in their thinking, they went, he's the king. He should know where this king's been born. So they went to ask him. But the news clearly took him by surprise. So once the shock wear off, fear and threat of what would happen to his own reign and his own supremacy started to go through his heart and his mind. His mind raced at what it meant for him. How is my life going to change because another king has been born? He could only see the negative. He told the wise men, oh, go find the king. You guys go find him. And when you find him, let me know where he is so that I can come and worship him too, yeah? And they were like, yep, no problem. So off they went on their way. But we know, in hindsight, on the other side of the story, that was a big fat lie. Because when they left, he then commissioned, and when they never returned to tell him where the king was, he knew he got stitched up, he went and said to his um, close, to the soldiers and to the armies and all of that, I want you to go and put every baby boy under two to death. He wanted to make sure he wiped out any chance of anybody else taking his throne. Now... Queen Elizabeth couldn't do that today because we'd all look at that as a bit extreme. But they, do, they did those kinds of things back then. That's what the king could do. It made me think that fear can motivate us to do some pretty stupid things. It's important to note Herod's reaction because sometimes when we are met with the idea of Jesus and who he is and what he's done, we can have the exact same response. You see... We evaluate what it means for my life to let Jesus in, in light of what I will lose. Our thought patterns follow something like this. This is my life and I have to give up reign of my life to someone else? Someone I don't even know? Someone who's come in without any warning? Like, what? This is my life. That's the catchphrase of this, the world we live in. This is my life. And I'll do what I want with it. And I'll put on social media what I so please. And I will watch what I want and eat what I want and wear what I want and go where I want and do what I want when I want to do it, right? Spice Girls sang it, didn't they? I'm not going to sing it for you. Relax. But we fail like Herod to realise that allowing the king, King Jesus, to sit on the throne of our hearts is not so he can take over and be some sort of evil dictator and we're like his little minions. It's not like Gru and the minions, guys. Okay, having Jesus as ruler of our hearts is actually freedom to live out our God-given destinies. It is freedom to live free. It is freedom to have peace, love and comfort living inside of you every day and every moment of your life. That is what it means to have King Jesus on the throne of your life. It is not giving up my right to, to, to having life. 
It is giving up your right to having life without him. It's saying, I want to have life with you. Let's be honest. How good are we at navigating our lives anyway? Wouldn't it be good, great, the most joyous event our lives have ever seen if we gave the navigation of our lives over to the king? Wouldn't that be some good news today? You know, this king longs to save us, heal us and rescue us from ourselves as much as the consequence of evil. Sometimes we need a little help from ourselves. So if you know the rest of the story, you know that the wise men set off for many, many, many days and nights to find Jesus. Now, there's a lot of jokes there about men needing to stop for directions, okay? We're not going to go there today, all right? But in all seriousness, two things of great significance happened with the wise men. Firstly, as I already said, they never did tell Herod when they found Jesus. Again, God spoke in a dream and he warned them and said, don't tell him. He's gonna, he's, he wants to take Jesus out. Do not go back to him. So they, they, they obeyed what God said. Secondly, they found him. Everyone who seeks Jesus finds him. And when they found him, this is what happened. When they saw the star over the place where the child was, they were ecstatic and celebrated and shouted with unrestrained joy. Hang on, they haven't even seen him yet. They don't even know if he's really in there. These guys are so excited that they might be where the promise is, that on the way to the promise. I mean, how do you get to church on Sunday morning? Are you shouting and ecstatic with unrestrained joy in your car? Sometimes they're shouting, but it's to the back seat. And it might be unrestrained, but it's not joy. Yeah, can I get an amen, mums and dads? Okay, but these guys were on their way to church pretty much and they were ecstatic and they celebrated and they shouted with unrestrained joy. And when they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, they were overcome. Falling to the ground at his feet, they worshipped him. They were overcome. And they were undone. I know I've spoken about the wise men before when I've preached. And man, I love these guys because they got it. They really got it. They knew who he was. And they were so over the moon, all they could do was worship him. And they gave him gifts. And we all know in the story, gold, frankincense and myrrh. But I think the gifts carry a different significance today. The gifts show that we have something to offer God to. We are the gift this morning. Me, you, us. We are the gift that we need to give God this morning. Giving him the throne of our heart, that's the gift of worship that worships him. Giving him our life as an offering, that's the offering that worships him. That's the kind of offering that these guys gave they gave their most valuable thing we have nothing more valuable than our life and what a beautiful gift to give him than the thing we have of most value our life 
So 2,000 years ago, oh, sorry, so 2,000 years later, the invitation to us is no different than it was to Mary, to Joseph, to the innkeeper, to the wise men, to the shepherds, even to Herod. Herod had a choice, guys. Herod didn't have to do what he did. The invitation is the same. If we respond, if how we respond to the invitation of Christmas changes the course of our life forever, how will I respond to the invitation of Christmas? So how will we respond? What will we do with Jesus? At the knowledge of Jesus, at the knowledge of a king who so loves us that he left heaven and came to earth to be born humbly as a baby, to live a life as a man, to show us that there is a greater life to be lived with God, to then die on a cross for us, to defeat death and sin, and then to rise again to give us victorious life here on earth and a place in heaven. That's what he came to do. That's like the quickest gospel message you're ever going to hear. That's what he came to do. That's what he did do. And then he gives us an invitation at the end. Will you let me be part of it? Will you give me the throne of your life? Will you give me the throne of your heart? You know, so will we be like Marian and say, yes, God, no questions asked that we know of. No questions asked. I'm all in. Or do you, you liken yourself to Joseph where you wrestle a little bit more with the truth, but God still speaks to you about it? Or are you like the innkeeper? You're like, I just cannot see how this is going to work. It is noisy and chaotic here and there is no room, but I will make room. Or are you as perplexed as the shepherds because your life's been completely interrupted, but you're still willing to say, well, what have I got to lose? Have you been looking for him already? Have you been watching and searching and waiting? Is this the hope you never knew you needed? Are you willing to leave everything behind like the, she- like the wise men and just travel until you find him? Or are you threatened about what it might mean for your life to give him the throne of your heart and choose to maybe go, that's not for me, like Herod? Or are you overcome with ecstatic joy and your response is to be undone and worship him? You know, we choose our response to the Christmas story today, but you are not choosing a response to just a season in December. You're actually choosing a response to a reason. The reason is love. Our response is to a person, and the person is King Jesus. And many years before Jesus even graced the earth, Isaiah told us who King Jesus is. He said, a child has been born for us. A son has been given to us. The responsibility of complete dominion will rest on his shoulders And his name will be the wonderful one, the extraordinary strategist, the mighty God, the father of eternity, the prince of peace. Great and vast is his dominion. He will bring immeasurable peace and prosperity. He will rule on David's throne and over David's kingdom to establish and uphold it by promoting justice and righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. You know, at any point in our lives, I believe we move through all of these responses. Life is not like this. Life is like this. And so sometimes we can find ourselves anywhere in the Christmas story and identifying with different people and their responses. But I just want you to be so aware today. Be aware of who you're identifying with, but be aware of who you want to identify with. And then ask yourself, what do I need to do to close that gap? 
If I'm in the questioning stage, where do I need to get? How do I need to get to the stage where I'm a yes? If I'm in the stage of anxiety and wrestling with what God might be asking me to do or with what, what God means to me, how do I get to be the yes, I'm sure about this? If I am in the place of just undone worship and already a static joy, how do I let that spill over from my life to other people's? There's always somewhere more to go. So really simply this morning, I just love us to pray together. And it's probably the easiest prayer you're ever going to pray outside of help. <laughs> and it's really simple. It's just saying, King Jesus, I choose you. Now, I don't want you to pray this because you feel under pressure because the girl at the front said you had to. And by the way, no one can see you because it's dark out there. So I won't even know whether you prayed or not. But if you could just take a minute and I just invite us all just to close our eyes just for a moment. And I'm just going to pray for us. And then if you're ready and you want to join me, we're just going to say those, those few words, I choose you. So, God, I thank you that this morning you are moving. And I thank you that this morning you are, God, revealing to us things about you that we perhaps haven't yet seen before. God, the things that we are feeling, I just so sense that God is, is moving in the area of feelings right now, that God is causing someone or many people perhaps to feel a sense of his presence. And it's if, if, if you want to know if it's you, you're feeling something that you're not sure if you know this feeling. It's something unfamiliar that you haven't felt before and you're thinking, why do I feel like this? If that is you, just rest assured, that's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is just moving in you because he's identifying and showing you that he's real and that he wants to be with you and in you. That's just the goodness of God. He, he, he comes in ways that are tangible. He's not a God we can't see. Jesus was the image of the invisible God. We know what God looks like. And we get to feel what God feels like because he sent the Holy Spirit to earth for us. So God, I just thank you that as our eyes are being opened to see and know, as our ears and our minds are being opened to see and know, and as our hearts are being opened to feel the promise of a Savior, God, I just thank you that you are meeting each one in the way that we will be able to understand. You know how to speak to each of us, God. God, I bless every single person here today. And I just pray, God, that they, even now in this moment, but as they leave this place in the lead up to Christmas, their thoughts are, what will I do with Christmas? What will I do with Jesus? How will I respond to the reason called love? And Lord, I thank you that there's no better place to start than a heart that is undone by you and a heart that is overcome by all the goodness that you are a heart that is ready to celebrate with unrestrained joy and one that lays down its life as a gift of worship. So, Lord, this morning we just say, King Jesus, I choose you. If you'd like to just say that as your own prayer this morning, take a moment and tell him, King Jesus, I choose you. King Jesus, I choose you this morning. I choose you. I choose you. And I thank you, God, that you already chose us. You already chose us.
That's just how good you are. We love you so very much, Father. We praise you. You are infinitely good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.